ragazzi. Welcome back to Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. I'm Frank Crivello, your host. Richard Carmen chose to avoid potential castration by sitting out this week of Serie A Sit Down. It is his wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, Richard, and to your lovely wife. Uh, but fear not, you're not going to have to listen to me ramble throughout this uh, by myself. I did bring on a couple of guests. Uh, let me bring on the first one who's earning his third cap. Uh, he is a harbinger of Milan perspective and common sense, amateur football blogger at uh, FDL underscore XV. And for those of you non those of you non Milan fans not in the know, that means Fossa di Leone, uh, de- devoted husband, proud father, also a uh, licensed referee here in the United States. Always like getting some officiating perspective from him. Uh, we welcome back Michael Lisi. Ciao, Michael. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Had to sit out last week with the uh, uh, with with the knee surgery. I um, I'll tell you what. I probably could have done the podcast with Richard and Critty, but I, the oxycodone and the mix of drugs. Um, it was probably best I didn't. So um, you know, I might not have been able to walk around last weekend, but I could have talked. You know, so uh, so other than that, things are good. How about yourself? Good. Good. No complaints at all. Busy weekend here with a little bit of refereeing and my uh, my son's futsal team. We played in the regional tournament here. So this is a perfect end of the holiday weekend of soccer. So no complaints, man. Good stuff. Good. How's the knee? Getting Uh, okay? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Walking with the walking with a limp. Started PT. Um, You know, I I think I, I had the surgery back on the 10th. I was on two crutches until Tuesday when they took the big bandage off and then down to one crutch. And then a couple days later was walking. So, uh, just a, uh, a meniscus tear with some arthritis in my knee and some bone on bone, uh, kind of stuff going on that they had to clean up. So something that, uh, I should be resuming all my normal activities in three months. Um, you know, anything that might potentially involve jogging. I don't do much of that anymore either. So, um, my knee doesn't have to worry. So, um, so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at in that phase. And we'll just, uh, just take it a day at a time. So, but appreciate you asking, no, uh, for you, man. you bet. Thank you. We have a debutante here on Serie A sit down, uh, his first cap. He is, um, president of the AC Milan supporters club of Philadelphia. Uh, he's known as the president. His wife is known as the first lady and we welcome for the first time, David Fonte. Benvenuto David. Molto grazie. Thank you so much, Frank. So great to be here. And nice to meet you, Mike, as well. Yeah, great having you on. So everybody here listening on City, I'll sit down. Uh, you could tell by the three of us doing this podcast, we're going to go in depth on La Spezia. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the, the, the comings and goings of that city. city. They're still in City B, right, guys? Wait, all my notes are on Salernitana. What happened here? Oh, did we say I said that, didn't I, on Twitter? I said Salernitana, huh? Yeah, you just totally you totally mixed it up on us here. So I do that I do that to guests sometimes, though. So got to make sure you guys are sharp and on the ball, uh, knowing your SETI B teams. So no, we will. Uh, we're going to get into a, a bit of a deep dive. Uh, the three of us will have a conversation about the state of AC Milan. Um, you know, certainly Richard and I might spend an extra minute or two. Uh, on Milan compared to the other teams when we do this podcast, but uh, we never really get into a to an exclusive deep dive. So the three of us will kind of give you our perspectives. Um, we do this as uh, our friends Vinny and Steve are recording their Milan, Milan weekly pod as well. So uh, 
uh, Milan supporters out there around the world, at least the English-speaking Milan supporters, you're going to be on uh, uh, Rossoneri overload this week uh, between the two podcasts. So uh, glad to do that. But before we get into that, let me break down what happened on Match Week 20. And, uh, you know, a nice mix of things, some entertaining games, uh, some men behaving badly. Um, one man behaving badly with, I think, an agenda, but we'll, uh, we'll you know, I, always good for a uh, conspiracy. Um, former Milan players actually doing well, so it's good timing to have David and Michael on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast. And uh, but let's let's jump into it anyway. And good goalkeeping performances too. A lot uh, to hash out here. But uh, everything opened up with Lazio hosting Sampdoria, uh, and Lazio just continue this amazing run that they're on. They win five one. Uh, Felipe Caicedo scoring in the seventh minute. Uh, Chiro Immobile getting a penalty in the 17th uh, and then scoring again in the 20th. Uh, it would be Bastos making it 4-0 in the 54th, and then Immobile would get a penalty in the 65th. A VAR review uh, showed the defender you know, sliding, his arm is out, ball makes contact with the arm. Michael, I mean, we can rip on VAR all we want. Um, one thing that I want to give them some shred of credit for they have been pretty consistent when it comes to the ball striking an extended arm, regardless of the position, haven't they? Yeah, I agree. I think especially over the last couple of weeks, it seemed like around mid-December there, all of a sudden, the amount of VARs you saw during a game kind of went down a little bit. But the ones they were, you know, uh, using VAR for seemed to be seemed to be that they got the right call. You know what I'm saying? It seemed like there were some games early in the year. You'd see it five or six times. It would really slow down the game. But it seems like lately they're being a little more, uh, a little more choosy when it comes to when they use it. And it seems like they're they're getting things right. Yes, yep. written down from a couple games this weekend where they really, you know, they picked the right moments, and I I thought they got the calls right. Yeah, and for me this was a this was a correct call to go ahead and review it and give the penalty to Immobile who. Gets his hat trick and uh, perfect time for me to point out to all of our City I Sit Down listeners and remind them, as I've been reminding them every week, Chiro Immobile was my pick for Capo Cannonieri way back in August. Still is my pick for Capo Cannonieri. And the Immobile tracker, we break that out. Uh, he's on pace to score 46 goals in Serie A this season. Holy cow. So, so how many have, is he at right now? He's at 23 through 19 games. Mm-hmm. So just astonishing. I mean, it just, and you know, I knew that when they signed Lazzari, it you know, with what he can do on the right-hand side, with, with how he could cross the ball, and that combination of that, and then Luis Alberto and Sergei weren't going to stink like they did last year, you know, but I didn't think that they'd play as well as they have been playing this season. And I said, that's just going to mean more goal chances for Immobile, and I, it made it, that's where I had my logic for picking him for Cabo Con and Yeti. Uh, so, uh, but a hat trick for him, that's something that he has not done yet this season, at least in Serie A. So he gets that uh, up and running. Uh, Linetti with a consolation in the 70th for Claudio Ranieri's men. Uh, Chabot, Julian Chabot, I think is how you pronounce it. Red in the 73rd, a professional foul last man on mm-hmm. Caicedo. Uh, no issue with that, Red. It was there, Michael? I didn't oh, have any. No. Yeah. Even right when he got up, he just started walking off the field. Yeah, he knew it. <laughs> And that's when you, you know, know it's a ref. You got the call right. <laughs> it's almost like, look, we're getting slaughtered. I don't want to be out here. I'm going to try to find a way out of this as soon as I can. So yeah. you wonder if players actually do that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, it was just not a good day for Audero. Only one save in those five goals conceded. A bit of a nightmare for him. And some uh, for the Sampdoria goalkeeper, some 
pretty poor misjudgments too, uh, you know, from his position as well. So uh, just something that uh, was noticed. Um, uh, going on on Saturday, Sassuolo 2, Torino 1, but it would be Torino grabbing the lead through a Locatelli own goal. This is an impressive own goal. Um, it actually looked like it was going to be an Obiang own goal. Uh, it deflected off of him. Uh, off of a shot, and then it was finding its way into the corner, and in comes Locatelli, and I don't know if he tripped and fell, or if he was trying to... <laughs> Lord knows what he did, but he was at he was at sea level, pretty much, and then it hits off his head, and it just rolls over the line and in. Uh, Torino go ahead 1-0. They can score that, but Belotti can't score the umpteen chances that he had in this game. I mean, he just... Uh, there was three that I picked up for sure that I said, man, on a different day, he scores, all, he scores each one of those, but... Uh, wasn't to be. Sassuolo would take advantage. And uh, one guy that did score and is a goal of the week candidate is Jeremy Boga in the 61st minute, a screamer from distance. Um, and then uh, Sassuolo would win the game on a goal by Berardi. Boga crossing the ball into the penalty area. One, two, three, four, five Torino players probably had a shot at getting to it. And it's almost as if they all just kind of – it was pathetic. It actually looked like all five of those guys were just, okay, that'll go by. Somebody else will get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody it's else like got it. Like they were waiting for the keeper to race off of his line and jump on it, and it just never happened. Just pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it was – you know, and uh, <laughs> you look at Sirigu. Sirigu looks like the kind of guy that looks like he would want to tear somebody's arm off after a game. Uh, just, the, just the look on his face. He's not the kind of guy I'd want to piss off, but uh, – Nonetheless, uh, Sassuolo do get the win. That's a much-needed three points. They were starting to spiral downward uh, a little bit, some of that having to do with playing some tougher opponents. Uh, but did Zerbi's man get it done? Uh, we round out with Saturday where uh, it's going from bad to worse for Napoli at home, losing to uh, Beppe Iacchini's Fiorentina, which is nothing like any other Fiorentina that we should be watching. 2-0 uh, to the Viola, but uh, Iacchini's not going to care. He got three points at the San Paolo. Uh, Federico Chiesa in the 26th minute on a topo goal, which was extremely clever uh, yes. of a finish. And, and for that is a goal of the week candidate for me. Uh, Jose Callejon missed a sitter uh, on a cross that came in, header, headed ball that he just he puts wide. <clears throat> Any, anything remotely close to being anything remotely on frame, I don't know if Drag, uh, Dragowski gets to it, but Dragowski did make some key saves to keep. Fiorentina ahead, and it was another goal of the week candidate from Dusan Vlaovic uh, putting in a curler to give the Viola a 2-0 win. Guys, let's sidebar this because it's Reno Gattuso managing Napoli. I mean, as much as this stings for Napoli supporters, this is a frightening parallel uh, with a Reno Gattuso managed team because when he took over from Montella at Milan, it got worse before it got better. And right now, I think Napoli's just in that rut where it's going to suck for a while. Uh, but if they can, you know, if you look at what happened at Milan, eventually this thing turns around. That's where I see it. The problem is it might be too late for any hope of any kind of European place. Well, David, I, I agree well, 100%. I mean, I, I don't know that for a veteran team that needs a bit of a spark that you couldn't have picked anybody worse than Gattuso to come along and, and all of a sudden resurrect things just doesn't seem like the right guy for that spot. Why they got rid of Angelotti, I mean, obviously there was some, seemed like some locker room issues and some issues between him and the owner and stuff like that, but Gattuso just seems like the uh, all-too-imperfect fit for that team. It's, it's an interesting point. David, is this an oil-and-water situation, or is or, or, or can they take the same parallel as Milan did where, you know, okay, they're going to start by getting worse, and then eventually they're going to come out of this? 
I think it's a little bit different from the Milan situation because when uh, when Gattuso came in for us, I mean, I think our our management and ownership structure was just in complete shambles, which I don't think is the case at Napoli. What I do right. think is the problem with Napoli, however, is you have an owner who uh, I don't think can tolerate not being the main focus of the team and of the news surrounding the team. So I think that had a lot to do with uh, Carlo Ancelotti's dismissal. Um, can Gattuso turn this thing around? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's coming off of, uh, uh, you know, not exactly the best ending with Milan, but at the same time, I think, you know, Gattuso is, is steady. I think he's pretty consistent in terms of how he approaches things. Uh, maybe that's something that they need, but I mean, I don't, I don't think any, any Napoli supporters or any neutrals can really blame him for, for what's happening there right now. It's going to, I agree with you, Frank, it's going to take a while to write the ship before, uh, things get any better for them. And we're, you know, <laughs> who'd have thought we'd have been in August talking about an, no one in, in August was talking about a Napoli that probably are going to be staring down a finish of somewhere in the neighborhood of eighth or ninth, uh, you know, instead of kind of what they've been cu- accustomed to doing, which is finishing top four. So it's just, it's crazy, but I think that's just the state we're in. Um, but yeah, I, I like the point you made, Michael, this is a more of a veteran team that he's taking over at Napoli versus the, you know, very youthful team that he took over at Milan, save from Bonucci, um, you know, <sighs> where he could have that, he could have that impression uh, on younger players that he may not be able to have on guys that have been around and, you know, are accustomed to playing their football a certain way. So um, well, what's, but, what's worrisome to me too, is like, like before Gattuso gets there, you think, okay, if anything, the defense is going to get better. If anything, you might be worried they get too conservative. But they just seem to be giving up two or three goals a game. Yeah. And you even watch like some of the goals from that game. It's just it's sloppy. It's disorganized. Like I said, you'd expect if if anything else, they might have like you know a zero zero draw here or there because he tends you know he has a reputation for being really conservative, but. Instead, it's the opposite. They're giving up goals left and right, and they can't. They can't seem to score half the time. But does right. he still? That's does he still have? That's would be really worrying, you know, for me. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Does he still have players out on injury though? I mean, is Kulibali? Uh, Kuli, Jesus Christ, I can't even get this out tonight. Kulibali. <laughs> yeah, is he still? Is he still out injured? Is Is Mertens playing? I mean, who's who's at his disposal? How do you not? And this is the this is the thing that I'm going to continue to say. Yeah, I mean, Koulibaly again has been out. Um, he continues to have. And here's the here's the couple of problems that I have with Napoli right now, and with with what Gattuso's doing. Okay, how do you not have a place on the pitch for Dries Mertens? Um, and he wasn't even on the bench uh, in this game, Ooh. from what I'm looking at. A guy who knows how to score goals in Serie A, and I know that. His time is probably up at Napoli after this season, but you need points, okay? I'm sure he'd love to play, uh, you know, give him a chance. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there and why he can't get games, uh, but, you know, I, I get in Gattuso's system, he wants a center forward, he wants a reference he, a reference point to target, so that's why Milik's got to play. You're, you know, Insigne ha- hasn't, doesn't, hasn't seen a shot he doesn't like, you know, so who do you take out to make room for him? And I keep I said this to Rafa at uh, Far from Vesuvius when I was on his Napoli podcast. I said I would like 
to see Callihone work in a midfield role, and I would like to see Mertens up front with Milik and Insigne. I mean, you, you're going to need to find a place for Mertens on the pitch because he knows how to score in this league. And then, sure. yeah, and then and then you deputize Di Lorenzo as a center back instead of letting him play his natural right back position, and he's actually been okay. You know, he's been one of the few positives, you know, for this Napoli term in terms of individual performance. But, and I said this on Twitter when I when I saw this, and this was the week before, and I can't remember who they played against. It, uh, no, it was, was it against? Yeah, it was against Lazio. What are you? What message are you sending to a guy like Sebastiano Luperto um, when you're taking a right back and playing him in a center back position that Luperto could be playing right now? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're screwed. Let the kid have a shot, okay? Yes. And let Luperto play right back instead of Husai, who you ask any Napoli fan, they would, they would love, they would take Luperto in the middle yep. and Di Lorenzo on the right in a heartbeat over any formation that involves Husai on the pitch. So, well, yeah, what what he ought to do is just you know look over at Milan and see what what Pioli's doing, and you know Pioli, yeah, after a couple games, just finally decided, okay, you know. These guys over here obviously aren't helping us anymore, and I got to put these other guys on the pitch and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, how long are you going to last as a coach? Yeah. I mean, it, it. I mean, the the proverbial definition of insanity, right? Yeah. Um. You know, and and it's not helping Napoli's cause at this point. So it, yeah. he's got to shake something up. And I think that that's going to be. If there's going to be any chance for improvement, if there's going to be any chance for positive results here going forward, that's where it's got to start. There's got to be some changes. So when they uh, they 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 made it out of their group in Champions League, right? So they've got yep. Champions League, but in a couple weeks, yeah, they got they got Barcelona. Oof. Yeah, I mean, oof, it's right. You almost wonder if that goes bad enough. If you know they they don't you know send Gattuso on his way and bring somebody else in, and then really the rest of their season, you know, goes down the toilet. Sure. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, on the other hand, Hey, if they somehow manage to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're home or away for the first leg of it, but you think on the other hand, if somehow they manage a good result in that game, then all of a sudden, you know, the last month is forgotten and you know, every, everybody's positive about Catuzzo, but at this rate, I really don't see that happening. So, yeah. Uh, lots to worry about uh, at the San Paolo, that's for sure. Uh, Sunday, um, Milan fans woke up, uh, had to wake up early. I didn't. I slept and just decided to catch it on uh, on delay or on demand. Um, but nonetheless, we all saw it. Milan and Udinese. Uh, Milan 3, Udinese 2. Uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma thought he could be a sweeper keeper. He was channeling his oh. inner Manuel Neuer. And, oh, God, that was ugly, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> destroyed the Udinese player, but left the ball wide open for Jens Stryker Larsen to score in the sixth minute, putting Udinese in front by a goal to nil. Uh, you know, with all of the chain, positive changes that Milan have made here in the last few weeks, a relatively inept first half uh, by recent standards. Um, you know, I think we were all, we're all unanimous that Jack struggled. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, Ibrahimovic and Leal were trying to carve some things out. Samu was working hard. You know, so there were there were some things happening, uh, but not enough that was creating any danger. So a, an excellent substitution by Pioli to bring on Ante Rebic for uh, Jack Bonaventura. Uh, and then in the 47th minute, that substitution would pay off. Uh, and Andrea Conti 
uh, steps in and intercepts a pass, plays it to Leal, makes the run to get the ball back from him, puts it across. Rebic finishes. Very nice team goal, 1-1, and off and running go Milan. But Udinese looking dangerous going the other way. Donnarumma with two uh, very critical saves. you know, to preserve the 1-1 scoreline until the 71st minute where Teo Hernandez would score a goal of the week. Uh, a Just a thundering volley and a one that Musa would have to pick out uh, after getting a headed ball sent his way on a corner. Uh, left-footed volley by, te- by, by Teo Hernandez in the 71st to put Milan ahead 2-1. And then it was a period of 15 minutes of Milan dominance, guys. I mean, how many chances did they have to bury this and be up 3-4-1? It was uh, it was something to watch, and I mean, I think at that point, um, before uh, before Udinese equalized, it was just uh, you know just waiting for for more to come. I mean, for me, can we go back to Donnarumma for a second? I mean, yeah, I think um, his blunder in the beginning definitely woke him up. I mean, the, that that goal was just absolutely horrible. Um, but I think that it sharpened him up. He kind of got his focus back and he redeemed himself for me in the second half with those incredible saves that he had leading up to everything. Um, I, I think, you know, you called the, the Hernandez goal, the, the goal of the week. I think any of the three goals on that day, particularly the last one could have been the goal of the week for me with just the way that Rebic went in there, just so calm, cool and collected. I mean, the guy was, he was, it was just so poised and everything. He kind of walks around these other guys and then he just sinks it in at the very end. And it just, you know, the whole place erupts and that was the Fonte household erupted as well. That was uh, <laughs> definitely something to watch. <laughs> Indeed. I and mean, it felt good. It felt good. Like the rest of my day was like just wonderful after that. You know, I, I, I come at this not from like a, a tactical or a technical point of view. You know, I'm just, I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. Yeah. That's what we do. And that just kind of put a big smile on my face for the rest of the day. Yeah, that made the day that that made the day at least a lot easier to get there for uh, Milan fans, at least on for sure on this side of the pond. Obviously, over there as well. Um, but you know, th- there were chances to be three, four, one up uh, by the time Udinese came back with a sucker punch on a goal by Lasagna in the 85th to make it two two. And I was looking at that at that point and saying, this is going to be two points dropped, and it's going to be a damn shame with how much yeah. they dominated the second half. Um, but as you mentioned, to your point, David, Ante Rebic in the 93rd minute uh, gets the ball just around the top of the penalty area, works his way to the left and takes a strike. And uh, Milan doing what they do against Udinese lately, winning late uh, when they beat them. Uh, they beat they won at the Friuli last year on a late Romagnoli goal. They're going to win this year at home on a late uh, Ante Rebic goal. Uh, Milan winning by three goals to two. We'll come back and talk uh, a little bit. About, let me let me bring up a guy here because this was uh, an interesting discussion and there's a couple of guys that tweeted and thought he was was poor. I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk here, Milan, and we'll talk more in depth here a little bit, but I do want to give a lot of credit to Andrea Conti. First of all, the, the assist for Rebic on the first goal. But I thought, I think that he's growing more in confidence and I think that he's playing better with every start that he's getting. I argued that this might have been his best game in the Milan shirt. You know, point to that assist... Point yep. to how it led to that assist, him stepping in and intercepting that pass. But then the other play in the first half in the 36th minute, Udinese is on a jailbreak to counter uh, off of one of our corners. And we're on the way to making it a two-goal lead. And the ball is arriving at midfield, and he makes a perfectly timed poke tackle. 
to break it up. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it was like three or four on Conti. Um, and he and he steps in and it, I mean, if he misses that, it's two nil. You know, that's how critical that tackle was in that in that part of the game. And it's it's little things like that that I'm looking for when I'm watching the improvement of a young player. And Andrea Conti had the guts to make that decision, make that make that tackle at that particular moment, and it kept Milan in the game. The interception, obviously, that led to him assisting Rebic's goal. Okay, he lasagna lasagna beat him on the goal on on the two two. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, that's a great play by lasagna. I mean, that, it's, it's a fantastic header that he put in. Yeah, great header and great box instincts. You know, I mean, yes. and that's what a veteran is going to do to a younger player. He's going to hold his position a little bit, going to going to lull that young guy to sleep, and then he's going to race to the spot when when the young when the younger guy's not ready. So, you know, we can we can we can shame him for for being late to that spot and and, and allowing Lasagna beat him there. But some of that's some crap, some 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 crap crafty veteran play by Lasagna. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Lasagna lives to score against us. I mean, it is it like, I, I'm not a betting man, but I'll tell you what, I think just about every time we play against that guy, I would bet on him to score. It's it, it's amazing how he always seems to pop up against us. For sure. The thing For that sure. I think is interesting about Conti too is, you know, I mean, he's definitely, in my opinion, earned his place over Calabria at this point. Um, but I, I think the two of them, the way we've approached them as supporters are kind of opposite. So I think... Uh, with Calabria, we kind of had these big expectations because he kind of blew up initially and then slowly but surely just kind of petered out and his performances didn't really match up with, I think, what he was doing early on when he started uh, when he started playing uh, as a starter. With Conti, on the other hand, I think the expectations for him were a bit lower and maybe there wasn't as much pressure on him. And that's why now I think he's really kind of coming into his own and proving his worth as a starter and you know, it's, it's certainly working out and I, I really hope that he continues to, to move up, but certainly like, you know, he's doing more than I ever expected of him. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another quick one, Frank Kessie. I like his new role. Um, you know, in the old four, three, three and what he was doing, uh, in previous formations, he's asked to foray into the penalty area a lot and be put into some attacking situations, some finishing situations that he's not, a hundred percent polished at. I like how, and, and a lot of this has to do with the arrival of Ibrahimovic is that you just stay out of that penalty area and you let him have whatever run he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the, the, you know, the combination of him and Leao and Leao running all over the place off of him. So now Cassie can stay home more and be a true box to box guy where it's ball winning and, you know, trying to keep it simple and making a, making a pass. I, somebody on Twitter was talking about Kessie saying, Oh, you want him to just sit there and how much longer do you want to sit, watch him sit in midfield and make uncreative pass after uncreative pass. I mean, wait, wait a second. Um, so wasn't Reno Gattuso's role to make uncreative pass after uncreative. Yes. We didn't ask, we didn't put Reno Gattuso in there to split defenders into an on running striker. Cause that wasn't Absolutely. his game. We put Reno Gattuso in there to win the ball and give it to Pirlo next to him or give it to Sadorf next to him or someone mm-hmm. like that. And that's the role for, I mean, I think that's another thing that's kind of getting overlooked here. Pioli has simplified Kessie's role and it's made Kessie effective. I think Kessie's been better. Gonna be, oh, go ahead, David. Uh, thanks. I think, you know, the past couple matches, I, I definitely have seen an improvement in Kessie, which is why I was pretty frustrated with him on Sunday morning. I, I, there were there were certain plays, uh, you know, there was one play where he wasn't 
the ball practically dropped at his feet, but he still didn't like even attempt to put his leg out and, and go for goal, which I don't know. There, there was just something he seemed half a step off. So I might be a little bit critical of him this week. He's generally somebody that I like and that I think can do well. Uh, overall, I have seen the improvement, but there was, I, I think he was just a bit off on Sunday for me. Yep. Michael, well, how about Michael? You, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, oh, I think I think Kessie's going to be that guy that after most games, if you don't really remember a whole lot of what he did, like in a highlight sort of way, that he probably played a great game. Yeah, you know, like exactly. what you're saying with Gattuso. Gattuso had one job: go get the ball and give it to all these guys around you. Whether it was Pilo, whether it was Sadorf, whether it was, I mean, any of those guys. Not that we yep. have those guys now, but anyways. But that that's Kessie's job, and also too now. He has he has more help. He has more help to the middle in a in a four four two because he's got Benis there next to him, and now he's got more help out wide with with Castileo, You know, somebody who actually runs and puts forth some energy, and you know, gets up and down the field and all that kind of stuff. All these extra things, like you're saying, that we expected him to do in a four three three. All of a sudden, he doesn't have to worry about. It. I mean, there's there's no reason for him to go inside the eighteen because, like he said. We got Zlatan up there and and plenty of other people to help out. He can just kind of sit back, do his thing. And like I said, at the end of the day, if you don't remember, you know, anything that Frank did, then he probably had an awfully good game. So agreed. So and, Frank and, and that's and that's his role. That's yep. you know, that's exactly what he should have been doing. You know, he wasn't brought here to uh make runs and score twelve goals a season or anything like that. So right. yeah, Frank, do you have do you have a soundbite of like the heavens opening up every time we mention Zlatan's name? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a thunder crack. We oh, can probably, anything, we can probably anything. arrange for that. It's wonderful. It's so yeah. wonderful. We can, we can probably arrange for that. We probably <laughs> Maybe should. some post-production yeah. or something like that. <laughs> we have, we have, I think we have soul train sound for whenever Cornelius scores, but <laughs> I don't think it comes through. I don't think it comes through or Richard doesn't, yeah, because when I, I I listen carefully for it, it it, it comes in very softly, so we got to work on it. So, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, we could probably figure something out when it comes to Zlatan for sure. So, uh, so Milan win three two. We'll talk more about Milan here in a little bit. Uh, also going on on Sunday, uh, Bologna hosting Hellas Verona one one. It was Mattia Bani uh, getting a rebound in the uh, off a corner kick in the twentieth uh, minute. Uh, and then uh, there was a uh, clear breakaway to goal here for Bologna. And I can't remember the player, but he struck the ball. It was off to Vidovic. And initially it appeared that he handled it, and the referee gave him a straight red. Uh, but uh, rightfully so, VAR did call down the referee. They did have a look at it. It turned out that the ball did hit his chest. Yes. Uh, so they rescinded the red card. They got that one right. Um, so, But they did get a... Second yellow on Bonnie, that was absolutely correct, and ultimately a red uh, mm-hmm. to send him off and send Bologna down to 10 men, and that would open it up for guess who? Fabio Borini leaves AC Milan first game with Hellas Verona. He scores uh, a nice-headed goal, and blue kisses in the direction of Philadelphia uh, <laughs> as he was celebrating. Nobody believed me. Nobody <laughs> believed me, and there he is. Scoring left and right. You watch. He's going to give Immobile a run for the uh, Capo Canonier. <laughs> well, you know what they you know what they say about a blind squirrel, David. Okay. <laughs> so, 
The sun shines. The sun. The sun gets to shine on a dog's ass once in a while. In this Listen, case, there you go. Yeah, in this case, Fabio Brini had little had sun shining on. It was sunny out too in Bologna. So if that if that blind squirrel finds a nut next week, then we'll have another conversation. But you guys watch. He's going to light it up. <laughs> well, you know, Brini was one of those guys while he was at Milan that most of the reason everybody hated him is because he made so much money when we brought him in. That's pretty much all you ever heard about. Why yeah. are we paying this guy three million dollars? Why are we, you know, why are we paying him this? Why am I paying this? But he's he's that energy guy that he, he reminds me of when we had uh, Flamini, you know, yep. several years ago. He runs around like a chicken with his head out, cut off. He never stops running, and you know, sometimes that puts you in the right place. I mean, I'm I'm always okay with the energy guy as opposed to the guy that wants to stand around near the touchline and never get involved. So, sure. I've always been a fan of the guy too. Sure. I just vindication. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he he was all he he was all hard work, uh, you know, in his in his time at Milan. I mean, there wasn't anything glorious that he did. He played like six different positions. They put him at fullback, midfield, winger, you name it. If his name was on the call sheet, he was going to show up. He didn't care what position he sucked at. Yeah, was willing to do whatever he <laughs> what, what was. Yeah, didn't care what position he sucked at. No, no, he just didn't care. <laughs> He's just happy to play. He's like a kid. <laughs> well, I mean, look for me. Obviously, it's 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 one of those things. He's a player that that played with a lot of heart. Uh, he's a player that gave his all every time, and I think that was clear. Uh, obviously, not the most technically talented player, but you know, he he put it out there and. When you, when you compared him to other people on the squad that maybe didn't exactly understand what it meant to wear the shirt, uh, you could always count on that from him. So for that, he has my respect always. And, uh, you know, I'm sad to see him go. I'm, I'm glad that he's somewhere where he has a chance to play and, and score goal after goal after goal now. I wish it wasn't <laughs> Hellas Verona, but uh, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm happy for him and I wish him the best. So we'll see what happens. Three minutes of Fabio Barini on this podcast is three Fantastic. minutes more than we oh, should ever devote. <laughs> three minutes more than we should ever devote to Fabio Barini on it. On it. <laughs> so. You know, I have a Barini jersey, right? <laughs> do you really? I do. Yeah, that's the jersey I got this year. God bless you. And my wife got Rodriguez for representing. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know what jerseys you buy next year. Right. <laughs> the first family's curse. Don't buy a, Don't buy an Ibra jersey. No, no. <laughs> <sighs> you sound like you're going to be starting the uh, Hellas Verona and English podcast pretty soon. Absolutely not. No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, Brescia and Cagliari. Uh, 2-2 here. Um, Cagliari outshoots Brescia 27-11. to Euronen makes seven saves for Brescia. So Cagliari really had a lot of chances in this game. Uh, Joao Pedro. Uh, scoring a goal of the week candidate, uh, rising pretty high off of a off of a cross to head home. Uh, might not make the final cut, but definitely worth noting. Uh, and then uh, Ernesto Torregrosa uh, scoring in the 27th minute, goal of the week candidate. There, it's what he did in the 49th minute. That was a heck of a lot more of imp- more impressive screaming goal from distance, putting Brescia ahead 2-1. And then a penalty in the 68th minute for Joao Pedro to make it 2-2. Uh, Mario Bellatelli makes a oh. very brief appearance, comes on as a substitute, realizes that Brescia play Milan next week uh, and wants no part of that game, so commits a foul, says something about the referee's mother, gets a yellow, then gets a red, <laughs> and is sent off. So, uh, <laughs> smart man, that Mario. We underestimate how smart he is. 
Um, but uh, Ernesto Torregrosa is going to provide a whole, whole, whole new set of problems. And Sandro Tonali clearly played a lot better in this game than he did in the previous week, showing why he is uh, uh, hotly on the rumor mill uh, with uh, not only teams in Italy, but teams abroad. So uh, Lecce and Inter is 1-1. It was uh, another former AC Milan player, Gabriel, was impressive in this, made eight saves for Lecce. We're going to do this Milan bias all night, boys. Um, uh, Inter scoring. Richard's going to be pissed. Uh, Inter scoring <laughs> in the 71st minute through Bastoni, and then it was Mancosu scoring in the 77th minute. See, Fabio Liberani, see what happens when you leave him on? You take him <laughs> off last week when I have him rostered on a DraftKings lineup against Parma, and you sub him in the 55th minute for a guy who can't score. Karma. So, yeah. 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 The one, now he's not. So now he's going to score at will. So anyway. So Mancosu levels for Lecce, and that is a painful loss for Inter in terms of their title prospects. Or it should might as well be a loss. It ended up being a draw. 1-1 one, one there. Genoa 1, Roma 3. Uh, Chenji's Under with an intended cross uh, that just went past everybody, and Pellegrini was going to touch it, didn't, and it and it rolled in con. That's not a brilliant goal. That was a cross. Did you see it? Uh, did you guys see it? Did that? I, did I, I thought Pellegrini actually like got a toe on it and got credit, but but I, I I'll take your word for it, Frank. But yeah, it, it it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. No, it was a it was a cro- it it was it was Under who got credit for the goal. Was it? Oh, okay. So, and then uh, in the forty fourth minute, I understand being a fan of a boyhood club, but uh, Birashki, this is pretty ridiculous. Scoring an own goal. <laughs> oh yeah. Barashi being a defender for Genoa, his boyhood club is Rome. He decides to put the ball in the net and help Roma help his boyhood club out. Uh, Roma goes up 2-0. Uh, 75-year-old Goran Pandev yes. uh, gets him one. He's still playing? He's still oh, playing. Oh, God. They dust him off every week, and they get him out there. They use, uh, they use WD-40 for his joints, and um, God knows what else to, to, to keep him moving. But he's still playing, and he's still somehow scoring goals. And... Uh, they had a little work to do on this because Paul Lopez came out uh, fully extended. Pandev got a direct pass and he just looped it past him, uh, oh, making yeah, it great finish. Yeah, great finish. Make, making it 2-1. Genoa tries to possess out of the back. Perrin makes a terrible mistake. Ultimately, it ends up with Aiden Jekko. 3-1 win for Roma. Some key saves in this game from Paul Lopez uh, throughout the process before Jekko put that one away. It should be noted. Uh, Sunday night, Juventus 2, Parma 1. They take full advantage of uh, Inter's draw and now go four points clear at the top of the table. Uh, and it was Ronaldo scoring two goals that weren't penalties. Would you believe it? Yeah. Uh, and scoring in the seventh consecutive Serie A game, although that's an own goal, the first one in the 43rd. It, defle- it deflected off a defender and redirected into the near post. Yeah, if the, I, I think if that's almost any other player in the league, it's an own goal. But it's, you know, you know it's Serie A, and you got to keep yeah. them happy. you got to uh-huh. keep you got to keep the cash cow happy. So should we talk about his hair? Oh God damn it! I've already no. said I've already <laughs> talked about his hair. Listen, and he's got to cut that thing off. I have written in my notes: get a haircut. <laughs> seriously, cut I, that thing. Seriously, I'll take you. I'll take a picture of my notes later and send it to you. I've written down the only note from that game: get a haircut. So uh, Andreas Cornelius scores in the 55th minute. It's a goal of the week candidate. It was a great cross, flying header from Cornelius. Uh, cue the Soul Train music, Richard. But Parma's joy would be short-lived because three minutes later, Dybala putting the ball across, Ronaldo finishing 2-1, and that's how it would end up for the Bianconeri. And then today, shock of the week, Atalanta 1, Spal 2. Really? That really happened? Um, 
Ilicic in the 16th minute, and you thought the floodgates would just open, but Spall held their ground, uh, and it would be Andrea Patania in the 54th on a counterattack uh, after some nice work from Arkadius Recha down the left-hand side. Mattia Velotti, another former Milan guy, uh, mm-hmm. scoring in the 60th to give Spall a shock win. I watched this guy's Atalanta hardly looked interested in playing. I don't know if you guys caught it or not. Both, both of the goals by Spall, I, I agree 100%. Adelano's defense just looked like a bunch of guys that had no interest in being there. Yep. Yeah, they were easy as could be. Yep. I mean, I think that Papu, Papu was carrying a knock coming into this game, and I think that that was giving him problems more than he was willing to lead on and, uh, you know, ended up coming off prior to the 60th minute from Malinowski. And Malinowski actually put in some – Put in some services that if players were were making runs and working to get into position, uh, you know, probably would have found a couple more goals out of this. Uh, an uncharacteristically poor performance from Atalanta in the front third um, in this one. But Spall finding the resources to get an absolutely critical win if they're to harbor any hope of getting out of the bottom three. So... Uh, David, overall feelings about what went on in this uh, weekend's games? Well, I think overall the the thing that I'm happiest about is the uh, Atalanta loss. Um, I think if anything, it, it you know we have a as Milan supporters we have a long way to go with any hope of them you know getting into either a Europa League spot or a Champions League spot. So I think uh, from what we've seen, you know, aside from the the Roma win. Uh, the Atalanta loss was definitely big for us. So hopefully we can take advantage of, of the standings now and start to leapfrog in the coming weeks. If we could keep our form up. Yeah. I, you know, I agree. I think that uh, the right mix of teams dropping some points to allow Milan to keep up. And now they're sitting there tied on points with Parma. I mean, ultimately they should be, they don't sort out the head to head until they've actually played each other twice. Uh, You know, Milan do have right now that aggregate advantage over Parma. Uh, you know, but I think that they've changed it to goal difference in recent years. So that's probably why Parma sit seventh and Milan eighth. But I think you know, that's right. Yeah. But I, I, I want to say because they do that in the Champions League, somebody might have beaten you. But if they've got if you're if you're level on points and their goal difference is better, they're going to sit ahead of you. If you play the return match and you beat them on aggregate and have the same number of points, you'll end up ahead of them. So I don't know if Serie A is doing something goofy like that or not, or if it truly is goal difference. That's the tiebreaker. So. Um, so that's going to be one we'll have to do some digging on and see, uh, Michael thoughts on this weekend's games. Uh, I, I just think at this point, halfway through the year, there's just seems to be a lot of clubs that are in usual places. You know, we're kind of in the middle watching results of other teams, hoping to get back higher on the table. Genoa as usual, seems like for the, I don't know, 20th year in a row that they're going to get relegated. But they always seem to find a way by the end of the year to survive. So it's, I guess what I'm saying is the table seems to finally be taking shape a little bit. You know, Calorie is starting to drop points a little bit after they got as high as, what, fifth or sixth, I think, at some point. So, you know, once we hit the midway point, things tend to kind of even out. And we get a better idea of, of where we're going from here. And I don't want to ultimately conclude that Calorie has peaked just yet. Because, I mean, today they... You look at it. You look at it statistically, and you wonder how they didn't come away with three points against Brescia. But yeah. they lost at home to Milan, um, and that's not something. And Richard and Critty talked about this last week. You don't often see Cali losing at home. 
you know, mm-hmm. maybe they'll draw a game here or there, you know, and they'll win most of them, uh, with Sardinia being a very difficult fixture for teams to deal with. Uh, but, but yeah, with that loss, with dropping two points here against Brescia, I don't want to totally say that Caliente have totally peaked yet because they, you know, with 18 games remaining, there still might be another burst of form in them where they could get this all back. But, um, you know, well, so the, we'll have to. And the way they play, they're always going to score. Sure. You know, I mean, you look at the results all year. I mean, probably the craziest result is us going there and shutting them out. Yep. I mean, they've, they've scored two goals, I think, at least in more than half of their games now. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the results, they're 2-2, a lot of 2-2, two, 3-2 two, two games. And, you know, when you play that way, sure, you're going to have some dips, but then they're also going to, you know, surprise some teams by beating them. So. You might be right. They might, they might, they, that might just be who they are and they might not fall apart. Yep. They travel to Inter on Sunday. Uh, and then uh, next, a week from this Saturday, they will host Parma. So those are their next two. And then they're at Genoa. Uh, so those are the next three games before hosting Napoli. Uh, so that's what Caledi has in front of them. And, you know, I mean, the talent is there for them to win every one of those games, including Inter. I think that, I think that Inter is going to beat them. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, which would be another opportunity for Milan to go ahead and get three more points and catch up. But, uh, you know, the talent is there to, to get on another run. So we'll just have to see what that happens with that. I think some other talking points that I had, uh, you know, from, from mine, I mean, I think we've, we've worn Napoli out, but I think it was a great week for some of these relegation strugglers, Lecce, Spal, Brescia, all got points or a point or points that they probably shouldn't have expected. Uh, which is going to bode well for all of them. It's a horrible week for the uh, the, the Genovese clubs, uh, Sampdoria and Genoa, um, combined losing to the uh, Roman sides by a combined eight to two. Still deep in this relegation scrum, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I still think at the end of this, I, I've been saying, I said it a couple weeks ago. I think it's going to be Lecce, Spal, and Brescia. I think Genoa have enough talent to get out of this, but. They're, they're they're making this a little they're, they're making this a little hard on themselves and uh, you know some of the mistakes that they made in this game the own goal I and mean, look at the two goals that they conceded that led to a three one game an own goal and then a goal just out of poor possession playing out of the back a bad mistake by Petting mm-hmm. uh, you know so you're <clears throat> you're you're kind of digging your own grave if you're Genoa right now uh, and you're a little more talented than that to be doing that and hopefully. Uh, if you're a Genoa supporter, they get it. They get this figured out and quickly. Um, you know, not the end of the world. They're two points from safety, with Lecce sitting there at 17th. But uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's certainly Lecce, Spal, Brescia, pat on the back to all of them. Uh, so, <clears throat> and then Juventus going four points clear. I mean, I think that's the obvious one. Uh, taking advantage of Inter dropping the points and starting to get a little bit of distance. Lazio does have a game to make up against Hellas Verona, which if they can win that, they're three points back of Juve and uh, still every bit a, a part of this title race. So we'll see what happens. It's turning up more and more guys for Lazio's sake. Probably the best thing that could have happened to him so far this season was getting knocked out of the Europa League. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if they're going to make any run towards the top, I mean, we want to have as, as few fixtures as humanly possible. Yep. So. Okay, I agree 100. percent Especially, you know, if, if you're going to stay on this kind of form for somebody like a mobile, that's what you want to do: go out there and play like once a week. Yep. You, know, you don't want a whole bunch of games to pile up. I mean, how many times, you know, over the years? I mean, especially Milan a couple of years ago there with Gattuso, we were, 
seemed like we were playing like every two days and it, it eventually came back to bite us. Yeah. The season. And, and you wonder if Atalanta at this point, you know, just, you know, not that they're sliding back or anything, but you just look at the last couple games, you know, the Copa game, they had to rotate, you know, a whole bunch of people, you know, like you were saying, Papu, I think he's dealing with an ankle if that's right. So he doesn't look quite a hundred percent. So you wonder if that's starting to, to pile up on them a little bit. Yeah. Cause they're not very deep. David, you had yeah. something? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, Lazio is one of those teams for me that I think, uh, you know, they're they're pretty consistently slightly above average is how I would describe them. And I think at the end of the season, I think is going to be a real uh, a real uh, test for them to to sort of see where they end up on the table. I mean, I, I always just feel like, you know, as good as they are or as much as they shine at certain points every season, they things just kind of peter out towards towards the end. So, uh, you know, I, I wish, uh, Simone Inzaghi the best or whatever, but I, you know, I, I still, I hate to sound negative about it, but I mean, I, I just don't consider them a very big team in the league. And I mean, but, but the number of points that they have right now, you know, right. tells a different story. Yeah. They're right in this. Uh, they're right in this until they, ha- until they have some sort of dip in form yep. where, you know, we can we can officially count them out of it. But until as long as they're going to rack up wins like this and, you know, keep charging here at the top, we've got to seriously consider Lazio as a contender for this thing. So um, no doubt about it. Uh, so let's move on to goals of the week. Um, I don't know if you guys crafted yours. I'll give you mine. Um, I'm going to put uh, Chiesa's toe poke at number five. First, before I – well, okay, that's number five. But let me do some honorable mention, and it is going to go out to the goalkeepers. Um in particular, Yeronen from Brescia and Gabriel from Lecce. Yeronen uh, with seven big saves. Gabriel with eight. Um, you know, how many times did he... Uh, Marcelo Brozovic should have had a hat trick in this game uh, against Lecce by himself had it not been for Gabriel. Um, so both of them uh, working really hard to give their respective teams a critical point in their relegation battles. You can probably lump Paul Lopez in this category, making some key saves against Genoa. Uh, and then, and then, uh, Gigio Donnarumma, despite the blunder against Udinese, had some critical saves to keep Milan in it in the second half, uh, to help lead them. So goalkeepers turned up big this week. Uh, but, uh, let's go with the goals. It's Federico Chiesa's toe poke at number five. Again, just really clever finish. Uh, and then his teammate Dusan Vlaovic is curler in, uh, to seal it for Fiorentina at Napoli. Big win for the Viola. Uh, he gets in at number four. I will go with Josip Ilicic's goal in, in at number three, clever little uh, backheel flick off a cross from Duvan Zapata. We like seeing goals like that. That uh, was a beautiful finish. Very nice finish. And that's a veteran. Me of a, a Seedorf goal he had once for us where he just zipped across the box and did the same thing, a little backheel under the net. That's definitely a old man crafty goal there. Indeed. Indeed. I, I, I liked it too. Deserves to be on the list. And uh, we've got a couple of screamers topping it off. At number two, we're going to go with Ernesto Torregrosa's goal for Brescia, his second goal in that game that had put them briefly ahead of Cagliari. Uh, and then the number one goal of the week for me is Teo Hernandez. I mean, we got Milan guys on here. I've got to go with Milan. Uh, so <laughs> Teo Hernandez. And uh, let me give you actually uh, another one. Uh, Jeremy Boga's goal, outstanding as well. Uh, certainly deserves to be in there. Um, so... Uh, so that is in there as well. So I've got a top six, and let's throw, let's actually throw Taylor Hernandez number one, Boga two, Torregrosa three, Ilicic four, Vlaovic five, Chiesa six. So instead of a top five, I'm doing a top six. 
I host this podcast. I can do that. So fair enough. All right. Do you guys have uh, top goals of the week? You just want to pick one, have at it, whatever, uh, whatever you had. You go first, Mike. Oh, my, my, I like the Torgrosa one the best. That was my favorite. If I take my Milan hat off for a minute sure. you know, and not make Teo first, that that was my favorite. I mean, granted, Boga had a little bit of the extra sauce with the with the nutmeg before before he put it in, but Torgrosa is from distance. The way it tailed away from the keeper and just caught the corner. I mean that. That that reminded me of of some of Pirlo's strikes strikes from yeah. long distance back in the day, especially he had one against Parma that was very similar to that. I think it might have been his last goal for Milan. Oh, that, I, was, I, that was I, just I, like he drifts to his right, and you know instead of curling it in, it tails away from the keeper and finds the corner, and that was just just beautiful. I regularly watch that goal, and a tear streams down my face when <laughs> when I see that that one against. I know exactly when you're the, yep. exactly what you're talking about. So. Didn't that goal? I mean, let's real quickly, and David, we'll get to yours. That Pirlo goal against Parma didn't that make you think of like, okay, the game was kind of dull, it was kind of a stalemate, oh. and then it, it was was it was was I mean, was that just the ultimate fuck this moment? Yes, from Pirlo. Yes. <laughs> I'm I, just doing, I, I I'm have just, the same recollection that it was seventy or eighty minutes into a god awful uh, street fight of a match where it just seemed like it was going to end zero zero. And that's just the way it was going to be. And Pirlo just decided, you know, he was off to the left and just decided, you know, F it, you know, took two dribbles to the right, took a strike from distance. And like I said, it just kept tailing and tailing, tailing away from the keeper and found the corner. And he just turned around and said, yep, I could still do that. (laughs) That was his last goal for us, sadly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but uh, what a goal it was. Okay, David, uh, your goals of the week. Uh, So I, I... As much as I think the the Hernandez one was phenomenal, and from a highlight reel standpoint, it was definitely number one for me of the week. Uh, I got to say, it's the Rebic ninety third minute goal, only because it meant so much more. You know that that win, the capping it off in in that fashion, I think uh, you know is gonna is I'm gonna predict it's the turning point of Milan's season. You know they've already started to to climb, and uh, hopefully this is this is the spark that keeps them going. They're playing with confidence now that it's not just about the goal, but it's about everything the goal means. So let's see where they go. Okay. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And uh, winners and losers for me on the week. Um, Winner, I am going to go with, I'm going to go with Sassuolo. Uh, You know, they started to slide a little bit here. Uh, You know, they needed, they desperately needed three points. They got it against a, a Torino team that had been reasonably good here. Uh, but a Sassuolo team that was starting to see some struggles. They had just come off of losing three straight games uh, at home to Napoli, at Genoa, uh, at Udinese, and then uh, coming away beating Torino here, at, you know, a decent Torino squad, uh, and getting an important three points to just kind of stop the bleeding a little bit for Roberto De Zerbi's men. Uh, you know, certainly important there. And my losers are the uh, the two Genoa sides, Sampdoria and Genoa. Uh, just both of them, absolutely. I mean, Sampdoria just got... Uh, completely run over by Lazio. Genoa, I think, really got in their own way against Roma for the most part. Um, And, uh, you know, putting them both squarely in this relegation fight at the moment. uh, And each team may be a little too talented to be where they are right now. So, David, a winner and loser for you? Oh, man, you're making this too difficult for me. I, I, I really didn't see too much more this weekend. So, Milan are the winners just because. 
Okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, losers, I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna say Brescia because I would love to see Balotelli play against us next weekend. So I, I think yeah. the the red card is unfortunate. Uh, incredible storylines, incredible kind of homecoming, and uh, we're missing out on that. So that is a shame. That is a shame for sure. Um, Dave, uh, Michael, winners and losers. Um, well, first of all, that's a good shot, Dave. I think the losers are, are definitely the fans that we're looking forward to that game next week. But my loser of the week would definitely have to be Inter. I mean, to, to drop points against Lecce when you are, you know, still hopefully, you know, fighting for first place, that just can't happen. And as far as, as, far as the winners of the week, I, it's tough. I mean, Fiorentina's playing better, but, but I have to go with Lazio. I mean, they just keep plowing along it's what 10 wins in a row like you said they don't have to worry about europa league now they got one thing to worry about and you know credit to them they just keep keep plowing forward sure sure all right so goals of the week winners and losers those were our thoughts give us yours go to at city i sit down on twitter or instagram with your thoughts and now let's just talk a little milan all right gentlemen uh i would I, I am confident that the three of us are all extremely knowledgeable about this topic, right? One would hope. I would hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for sure. So, you know, let's let's kind of give a state of the Milan uh, for our Milan supporters that listen to this podcast, uh, you know, 20 games into the season. I want to start with, you know, revisiting some ugly in the Marco Giampaolo disaster, okay? Um, you know, David, I, I think – at the time, Milan is the laughing stock, and justifiably so. You pick a manager, you put him through a preseason, and then you cut loose, cut him loose after seven games. But isn't that good upper management when you realize that okay, we've made a terrible mistake here, and we've got to do something. We've got to do something now, and I don't care how far into the season we are. I mean, I, I mean, because that that's ultimately the way that it looks right now. That it was, you know, Marco Giampaolo was just a fish out of water. I was not particularly enthusiastic about the appointment because the existing personnel that was in place didn't fit the way Giampaolo likes to play. And it also, it was, there was so that ultimately there was going to be a lot of square pegs and round holes and we got what we got. So, I mean, shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't we be crediting upper management for realizing that mistake now, or do we still, throw you know throw rotten tomatoes at them for making the decision in the first place well i think making the decision in the first place was a failure i mean just put that out there right now but yeah i do agree i mean i think at a certain point you know you could only wait so long especially if you know there are expectations there's money riding on this and you know from so many different uh sources either the marketing aspect of it the advertising the sponsors and all of that stuff plus a fan base that was growing restless after how many years of poor results. So uh, the the Giampaolo experiment just did not work from the beginning. I, I absolutely think that, you know, he was in way over his head. Uh, he was unproven. And, you know, I, I had hope in the beginning just because there were some big names that were endorsing him as a, a good move from a coaching standpoint uh, for Milan. You know, there was hope that because he was on board, there was an actual project but then what happened you know I, th- I think like they just it just didn't work and 
uh, I, I think he's, you'd see him at press conferences and he's just shell shocked. I mean, he, he wasn't prepared. He, he wasn't prepared for the lights for the big time. And it's unfortunate because who knows, like if he had time and, uh, you know, didn't really have all of the pressure on him, who knows what the team would have been capable of doing. You know, I, I'm curious if, if he were still there, what position we would be in now. So, uh, it's one of those things it, it was difficult. It was, I, I think we lost a lot of, um, a lot of credibility because of it, but ultimately I think we're in a better place now, uh, because management did make that decision to cut ties when they did. Okay. Uh, Michael, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent that, you know, it's a management realized they made a mistake and they fixed it pretty quick. I mean, even if you think about going to last summer, he, he's going to bring in this four, three, one, two, like you said, the pieces didn't fit. We didn't, we never went out and got that, you know, toy cartista to play up there. We had Suso in that spot, which the whole preseason, I think we scored like one or two goals. If even that, if that, and then here, yeah. And here we were going to go into that end of the season like that, you know, with something that clearly wasn't working. And then what two games into the year, he switched back to four, three, three. And I think all the fans just felt like, Oh God, here we go again. You know? And management realized that they needed a change, you know, and that's usually usually not a good thing to change coaches midway through the season. Pioli took a few games to kind of figure things out a little bit. But, you know, unfortunately, we had to wait 20 games for things to finally start turning around. And, you know, that's OK. <laughs> and if I, was, I, if I could jump in for, for a quick yeah. second here. So, you know, our club had the privilege of like seeing Milan for the past two summers in the preseason training and with the international champions cup, uh, stuff happening. And, you know, two summers ago in California, we see Gattuso with the team and it's, you know, it's high energy. These guys are, are having fun. Like he's riding them, but you can tell that like, he's mixing it up with the guys he's in there. There's communication. There's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on at, at the practice sessions. Fast forward to last year with Giampaolo, the mood, I think, was completely different. He was just very quiet. He was a backroom guy. He had his notebook. He wasn't the kind of uh, he wasn't the kind of coach that really had the one-on-one or the the sort of engagement with the players that Gattuso did. Now, I'm not saying Gattuso's way is right or Giampaolo's way is right because obviously, you know, they both ended up in the same place. But you could just tell that that the vibe, that the atmosphere around the team was a lot different when they started this season off than the previous year. And I think, I think that's very telling. And because of that, I'm convinced that, you know, Maldini and Boban made the right move to, to let Giampaolo go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I, in this instance, and in most instances, a lot of people think it'll be just insanity after seven games sacking a manager. But I think that this is one of those rare examples where it was justified. Um, I was in the minority uh, when Pioli was appointed that I said, this is a good hire. This is a good coach. Uh, this is a, this is exactly the opposite of Giampaolo. This is a man manager. He's going to play a system. Uh, he's going to get his players motivated to play for him because at, at a minimum, he has done that at every stop. He led Lazio to the Champions League. He got a little bit of a burst out of Inter. Uh, he navigated Fiorentina to a, in a nearly impossible time uh, when uh, Davide Astori passed away. Um, you know, so this is a guy that has more of a, you know, not that Giampaolo is a horrible human being, 
but Pioli, you know, has a human side to him when it comes to relationships with his players. So there was that. There was his tactics, his system, a lot of these things that I thought would fit the characteristics of the players that Milan had in house. So I was one of the few that I thought this this makes sense and this is actually a pretty good hire because you know he'll fit this squad that we have and he'll fit with the squad that we have and then be at this point in the season who are we going to get without a transfer window and a preseason to work with so um so it made sense to get pioli for me i think that it has clearly gotten better certainly with some of the things they did in january but you know michael start with you on pioli uh first reaction first impression when he was hired and to what you think about him now well, first, when he was hired, I was more relieved than anything that we just didn't bring out some legend from the past, you know, it, it, with no experience at all to throw into the middle of the season. I remember at that time there was rumors about, you know, Shevchenko coming or something crazy like that. And I think that would have been a disaster. I mean, as, as far as somebody with, you know, at least a track record of, like you said, some successes in the league has been around the league for a long time. You know that was the cur- that was the kind of person we needed to bring in, and you know, it, it, you know, at the time, was I excited? No, but I wasn't, you know, worried that it was going to get worse. And sure. I, I think kind of what happened too with him, which I think helped him a whole lot by by bringing in Zlatan, which meant uh, things were going to change. That gave him a bit of a green light to make some of the changes he did decide to do at the time. By you know benching Suso and benching Hakan, I mean that that gave him a little bit of an, a little bit of freedom to be able to try some different things. Sure, you know? and because up till that point he was doing what everybody else did, and even though maybe he really wanted to make those changes, maybe that catalyst of bringing in Zlatan made him feel like, all right, well you know what, the management's obviously said we need some changes, so I'm going to go ahead and make the changes I wanted to make from the get go. Absolutely. Um, David, thoughts on Pioli? First impressions when he was announced up until now? My first impression, I was I was underwhelmed, but at the same time, I also didn't know who could come in and, and uh, basically be the right fit. So I think ultimately, you know, with the understanding that he was a caretaker, it, it, anything for me was an improvement over Giampaolo. Um, I agree with Michael. I think there's certainly, you know, when it comes to Pioli, there's the, there's the before Zlatan and after Zlatan, uh, Pioli. And I think, you know, uh, I think he won the match for us on Sunday because taking Bonaventura off and putting Rebic on at halftime, like when was the last time a Milan manager subbed somebody that wasn't injured before halftime? Or at halftime, you know, it's, it just doesn't happen. So I think that was an incredibly bold move and it paid off within minutes of Rebic getting on the, on the pitch. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the year where we end up if, uh, if they consider keeping him on or if they decide to bring a bigger name in, um, I don't know. I don't have a feel for what they're going to do just yet. Uh, but I certainly think that, you know, the pieces are, are, starting to get there now i I think uh maybe before the end of the the end of the january transfer window we might have another another change but uh you know i'm just i'm happy that things are looking up finally yeah um i mean i think that there's he's managing with a lot more courage now as evidenced by that rebbich substitution uh you know and some of the changes that he's willing to make 
Uh, you know, where at first it's, and I think when managers come back in, they're not going to get, you, you almost, it's almost as if you take a big risk when you walk into a situation without having a camp or any of that other stuff to just all of a sudden radically change everything. Um, you know, if either the players are going to buy into it and say, yeah, we should have been doing this all along, or they're going to say, wait a second, I've been here forever. I've been the starter in this position forever. I'm just in bad form. Let me have more games kind of thing. And then you lose the players. But, you know, to the point now that the play- team has been reshuffled a little bit, um, he's managing with more courage. He's he's stepping in and saying, okay, Susan, you can't be out here anymore. You're not getting it done. Hakan, you can't be out here anymore. You're not getting it done. Um, you know, and he's taking – you know, he's taking a few more uh, chances uh, that he probably can afford to take. I think he's established a little bit of a level of security here as the manager at Milan. So um, be interesting. I, you know, I was fine with the hire uh, when it happened. I liked it, actually. Uh, I gritted my teeth throughout the process. The Atalanta game, I think I tweeted, Michael, I think I know you saw it. Um, I said, I'm trying to remind myself that this, that, that, this Milan is actually better with Pioli and that this is just a really bad day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, what a horrible day. Yeah. Well, it, had I'm to, just... it, it had to bottom out kind of with those existing guys. And it was kind of that way with Catuso in the Benevento game. I think yeah. that was maybe his third game in charge. I can't remember right. exactly. But like after that game, he decided pretty much after that point, Montalivo was never playing again. And he never right. did. You know, there was a couple guys, you know, same thing that had been starting forever, such on and so forth. He gave them a few games just to see if they were going to turn it around because there was a new guy in charge and it didn't happen. So he made a couple changes. And yep. and David, you know, that's a great point with the with the subs. You know, when we had Gattuso as the coach, you could almost write down before the game the exact minute he would make a sub. Exactly. And it would be like the 75th minute. He never made subs before then. And Pioli has no problem making bold subs, like you said, at halftime. And when he makes those subs, he doesn't make it to hopefully get a 1-1 draw or something like that. He goes out there and makes changes to, you know, try to win the game and try to get some goals. And, you know, that's a, that's a breath of fresh air, you know, for Milan fans. For sure. For sure. Uh, David, I'll bring this back to you. Uh Scale of one to ten, with one being a uh, complete train wreck, ten being, uh, ten being like incredible revelation. Uh, rate Zvonimir Boban's impact since he's returned. Oh God. Um. I, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go just middle of the road five because I'm still not sure like a, how much he's responsible for versus any of the other guys that you see as let's say our, our executive committee there. Um, I think, I think if, if he's the one that's responsible for kind of the decisiveness of some of the uh, changes that they've made recently, then I think it goes higher than that, maybe to a seven. Um, but I do think that, you know, things were, things were kind of muddy earlier on in the season and, and, you know, just kind of preparing the squad and the transfers uh, leading up to the start of the season. So I think that lowers a little bit. So I'm comfortable putting a five for right now. Hopefully he proves me wrong and uh, would have a better, uh, we'll see what the results at the end of the season tell us. 
Sure. Is that a fair uh, answer? That's perfectly fair. Perfectly okay. fair. Michael, where are you at with Boban at this point? Well, I think when any like newer management group comes in, you got to kind of see what you got. You know, over the summer they made a couple changes, and then we got into the fall, and they realized that you know, like with uh, with Jim Paulo, they realized a couple of those changes didn't work out real well. So they changed it again, and now that we're into this transfer window, you know, they're starting to 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 manicure things a little bit more. You know, some of the some of the guys that you know they were some of the cards they were dealt, like Suso and Hakan. Like, okay, we gave them you know, six or eight months, we've made decisions on those guys. You know, the decisions they made last summer, Theo, Benesser, those are working out. Those are working out great. I mean, those are two of the best signings we've had. And I don't know how long, yeah. So you know, now they've been in the, they've been in the position long enough. They got a good idea of, you know, who they have, you know, how they fit in the team, who doesn't fit in the team, who works hard, who doesn't. So now we're starting to see, you know, more and more uh, bold decisions by them as well. And I think, I mean, the, the, the two of them so far, I, I would be about in that seven and a half to eight range. I mean, when you're in that position, not every decision you make is going to work out. I mean, there's, right. no, there's no club in the world that goes 10 for 10 throughout the year with management decisions and transfers and everything else. Everybody's going to have some duds. But, you know, your main job as the manager is to realize, you know, which ones you made were duds and get over that and, you know, make further changes. That's just the yep. way it goes. I mean, you can't have the same team forever. I mean, we tried that in 2011 and 2012 when we had, you know, we were going to hold on to all those veterans till the end of time, you know, and eventually yep. you have to be changing. You know, Napoli's kind of in that boat right now. They've had these guys for these years. The owner's very hesitant to make any wholesale changes. And, you know, maybe they're looking and realizing last summer was the time that they should have started those changes. But sure. they did. So, you know, that's that's what a manager has to that's what the management team has to do. They've got to be, you know, ready and willing to make those decisions when they need to be made. You can't just, you know, you can't just do nothing and and expect things to improve. Like you said, definition of insanity. You can't just keep rolling out the same eleven. And expect all of a sudden you're going to go from, you know, uh, eighth or tenth in the table to the top four. It just doesn't work that way. Right. And I'm with you. I'm on a, I'm on about a seven and a half with Boban. I think that he's he's made some decisions. He's made some errors. He's realized some errors. But I think that that, you know, prior to January, I would have probably put him at about a four and a half or a five. But I think what's going on in January, Ibrahimovic arriving. Um you know, some of the moves that they made, you know, Perini going, sorry, David, uh, <laughs> Rodriguez, uh, you know, some of the some of the stories of some of the other guys that are possibly going to be going out the door here soon uh, that just, you know, for one reason or another didn't work out. Just trying to, you know, get rid of some wages here and try to clean things up and then bringing in some players that can uh, that can be of some uh, some help. I think that uh, getting guys. The guys that they've picked up in January is exactly what Milan needed, and not just because of the names. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, obviously, you know, notwithstanding, but Simon Kiar and Asmir Begovic. This team was starving for veterans, starving for, mm-hmm. and they may not play a lot. Okay, Kiar might probably between Kiar and Begovic, Kiar is clearly going to play more. Okay. But they were. This was a team so young. They were starving for guys that needed to be in that dressing room with them to walk them through it, show them how to be a professional, show them how to handle themselves in certain situations. So, Boban and Maldini have been very, very smart 
in who they brought in in January and recognizing, and I was screaming for it the entire time in the fall. I said, you're going to bring somebody in January, bring in a 30-something. I don't care. We need some guys to teach these young kids how to deal with all of these situations because when I go out and look on a pitch, and I get that Romagnoli has the armband on, but he's still in his 20s, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you've got young players just about everywhere, and when the chips are down, who are you looking at that has been through all of the battles that can lift them? I made this point a while back. I can't remember where I was when, when Milan went out or what, what show I was on when Milan lost to Arsenal in the Europa League, and I said, when you look at the lineup that Catuso trotted out, there was one player yes. out of that eleven that had any European experience, Bonucci, yep. okay, against an Arsenal team that had about six or seven. So, oh, yeah, and if you took him out, there were lots of times the rest of the starting 11 was averaging 23, 24 years old. Exactly. I mean, I think there was there was one year in there, I put a post at the end of the season. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. I mean, we led all of Europe in games played by guys, I think it was either under 25 or 24. Mm-hmm. And that's because almost every week, the oldest guy on the pitch was either Panucci or Biglia. Right. And that was it. And they were the oldest by, like you said, five, six, seven years. Right. And yeah, when you've got a bunch of 23, 24, 25, sometimes 19-year-old, you know, in Donnarumma's case, yeah, who do you look around to that's going to be the guy that says, you know, don't worry, boys, everything's cool, you know, we can get through this. Yep. You know, it, it does make a big difference to have some of those guys around. Like you said, even if they don't play every single game. You know, Jack is slowly going to be the perfect example of that. Can he really play 90 minutes anymore? Mm, I'm not sure. You know, after a couple injuries and getting up there in age, but he can, can he be the guy to have around the locker room or maybe come in the last 15 minutes of a game to, to bring a bit of a spark or what have you, you know, he, he's kind of that guy at this point. So it, it helps to have some of that age around. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I, I definitely think the veteran presence is important, particularly because we haven't had it uh, for a while now. The thing that I worry about, though, is, okay, if Teo Hernandez gets injured, who do we have? Who's going to fill his spot? You know, he's scoring more goals than anybody that else on the team invincible. right now. That man is invincible. That man is invincible. On the contrary, he's not. <laughs> Let's give him those Super Mario mushrooms <laughs> every time. He ain't going to get hurt. He's going to be good. <laughs> We're is, is Milan Lab still a thing? Yeah, <laughs> let's hope. Let's bring I back. Not. <laughs> I think we shut it down after we uh, ruined Pato. I think they closed the doors on it after that. Uh, it's arguable who ruined Pato, but that's another podcast. Well, well, we can go on for well, two more hours. Uh, yeah, yeah, we could have that conversation. I agree. <laughs> but that person's no longer with the club either. So No, she's not. <laughs> I mean, he or she is not. Is, yeah. is, is Rodriguez officially gone now? I thought he was. Is that official? Okay, okay. Yeah, well then, yeah, yeah. I I agree with you, David, completely. If there's one thing, like in these next, what, 10 or 11 days we got left in the window, you got to have somebody you can stick over there. No doubt about it. Yeah, I do want to confirm if Rodriguez is gone because, you know, I thought I saw a picture with... uh, from Turkey, then I saw another picture where he's obviously still on a training bike at Milanello. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's still... He's still a picture of him in a... Like a Photoshop picture of him in a Fenerbahce. Right, exactly. Most recent news is that uh, uh, PSV Eindhoven and Lyon were interested in him, but nobody. And then Watford uh, was rumored to be making a move. Fenerbahce has been talked about as a possible landing spot for him. So uh, he's still with the club, but uh, uh, possibly uh, on his way out. Uh, the uh, w- They're talking about this... Uh, Youngster from uh, Wigan, Anthony Robinson, 
uh, 22-year-old. This is coming from, what was this site, futa.com? Yeah. I don't yeah, even I know. Who, the same report. Yeah, I don't know who, even know who these people are. I don't know who this young man is. Um, you know, <laughs> it would be one of those where it'd say, hey, welcome to Milan. Here's your towel. Wave it when we score goals because yeah. Teo's going to play. <laughs> Teo's going to play every game. So yeah, if you look in the last couple of games, I think we've only called up like five defenders. Yep. So, yeah, we definitely need at least another body. I mean, I, I would be OK if Rodriguez stuck around the next of the the rest of the year. Yeah. But I mean, you know, in his mind, he's got to be thinking, you know, he wants to play. He doesn't want to be there just in case, because obviously, you know, Theo is 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 a permanent name on the on the call sheet every week at this point. So, yeah, well, Rodriguez just, also wants a spot on the European Cup team. I mean, he's he's absolutely. itching to play for that. Yeah. So, and you can't blame him either. No, no, that's how, that's like I said. From his standpoint, I, I don't blame him for wanting to find games the rest of the year. So All right. that's 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 going to be an interesting one to sort out. I mean, I guess you could say, okay, Calabria is the backup for left back and right back, but then, you know, things get pretty thin at that point. All right, moving on. Just to, let's 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 talk about some of the rumors and some of the speculation surrounding AC Milan at this point. Um, and let's just start with some of the stories that have come out about Bernard Arnault, uh, Europe's richest man, owns Louis Vuitton, uh, was rumored to be in a takeover bid for AC Milan, but has recently told that that's not happening. That that's been quashed. So can we put these rumors to bed, or are some of these Milan blog sites going to just keep trying to bring it up? I, th- I think as long as we're owned by, you know, a hedge fund that the idea from the beginning is that, you know, they were eventually going to flip us, that there's always going to be, uh, you know, rumors of us getting sold to somebody. But I guess as uh, us as Milan fans, we're used to that. <laughs> no. So it doesn't stress me out or bother me. I, I think that's just going to be, you know, the standard thing every month or two. You know, some guy with really deep pockets is going to be rumored to be the next owner of Milan. So, yeah, I I agree. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, uh, which you could have said about any of the the past couple rumors that we've had with with takeovers. But um, I also think, you know, if if Louis Vuitton is I mean, they're in the right place in uh, in Milan, the fashion capital of of Italy and probably the world. So uh, if they want to establish themselves in in the athletic world as well i mean this is one way to do it but again i'll believe it when i see it and i'm not necessarily concerned about it at the moment but if if it's for real and if it is serious i hope they get it over with as soon as possible because we don't want to drag this out any longer than we already have with the uh with the whole elliot debacle for sure we're just getting some stability now and i hope we keep on we keep on it okay uh Pick one of these three players that Milan have rumored to be linked to. Uh, if if you if you had to have one of these three, which one would you want? Dani Olmo from Dinamo Zagreb, Cengiz Under of Roma, or Matteo Politano of Inter? David. And look, you guys can laugh at me. Like I do not follow rumors. I don't. I just. First of all, I don't have the time to do it. I couldn't tell you a thing about any of these three players. I've, I've heard their names, uh, especially on social media, uh, in the past couple of weeks. But you know, I, I I frankly don't know anything about them, and I couldn't give you an honest answer. So that's my response. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather be forthcoming about it and just tell you the truth. I just you know 
I, I don't know what, what any of the three can bring to us. You're so. asserting your Fifth Amendment privilege. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. I don't Michael. blame you. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'd put it this way. Omo is the guy that is like, you know, the, uh, the exciting prospect. I mean, I think that's the guy, you know, where you hope where that's somebody you can put in that, you know, left side of the midfield slash left wing spot in a four, four, two, you know, that's going to be exciting and, you know, bring a lot to the table. Um, under, I, I think that it is probably highest on, uh, the reality list that it would actually happen only because, you know, January windows, a lot of times it's really, really tough to, to buy people. Lots of times you see, especially towards the end of the end of the window, a lot, a lot of loan swaps. And I could totally see a Suso for under, you know, loan swap. I do like, I think under brings, brings more to the table than Suso does at this point. We know what, we know what he is. He is what he is. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm make no bones about not being a fan, but, uh, but you know, that, that I could see happening. And I, I, I like what Under does. You know, he moves around a lot more. He puts in nice crosses. I mean, that would be a nice guy to have. Um, as far as Politano, I don't know. I see that as kind of, a, it doesn't excite me very much. Seems like more of a sideways move. Like, are we really getting a lot more from him than, oh, God, God forbid, Hakon? Maybe that's being a little too nice to Hakon. But uh, I, I guess that's the way I see the three of them. The one guy is the exciting guy. The Under thing is probably the most realistic thing, and Politano just doesn't uh, seem to move the, the needle for me a whole lot. The optics, if we got if we got Politano, the optics would stink because you're getting yeah you're getting inter surplus, you yes. know, uh, yes. similar to Under, you know, to me the optics. I mean, yeah. it, the optics to me would not be as good. It might be a little more attractive to get Under than Politano for sure. I out of the three of these, my my preference would be Donnie Olmo. I've seen the kid play in Champions League games, not just the Atalanta game, seen him in a handful of others. The kid's just got talent. Um, yeah. And he'd be the guy that you could bring in from another league and make yours. Um, I'm just, the, the rumored numbers when they were talking about this several days ago, I just find hard to believe. I find hard to believe that Milan are going to be able to get away with only having to pay Dina Mozaga $25 million for him, unless Boban, as a Croatian, has compromising compromising <laughs> pictures of people over at Dinamo Zagreb that he's going to be able to get away with a $25 million uh, uh, purchase of, of one of the future stars uh, you know, of this game if he continues to go at the trajectory that he goes on. So for me, the ideal one is Olmo. I would love to get him in Milan. The more realistic one is probably Under. I'd be... Good with Politano in the long run. In the short run, it would just, like I said, it would be bad optics. So, um, you know, so that's my answer. So Danny Olmo would be my preference out of those three. I think we're all unanimous that cover for fullback should be the highest priority for Milan before the window slams shut, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah, I just haven't really seen, other than you said, the one odd report with the kid from, uh, oh gosh, you just said it a minute ago. Was it Watford? Wigan. Wigan, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, there's been like nothing and maybe, you know, maybe that means something's actually going to happen. You know, sometimes you see, you know, a million rumors about something that never happens and then poof, all of a sudden we sign a left back out of nowhere. And that's okay. Like you said, we, we really just need cover there just in case more than anything else. Yep. Yep. For sure. So 
You know, um, we, you know and, and kind of going back to that too, you know, for, for a little while there, you know, there was rumors that, you know, we wanted to bring in another center back. And I think a lot of us were like, well, why? We really seem to be okay at center back, you know, yeah. everything seems okay back there. But then, then we did this, uh, you know, uh, this swap here for Kier and he, he steps, stepped right in and looks like, you know, looks like he's been at the place for a couple years and, mm-hmm. you know, very professional. Like you said, veteran presence doesn't seem like a guy that's going to be in over his head. I don't know that he's, you know, taken Masakio's spot, but I'll tell you, he looks pretty good. I got no complaints about him through two games. He made a couple really nice plays. He had a goal line clearance, I think, in the last game right at the post where he knocked it out of bounds. So, yep. I mean, you know. Uh, some sometimes you you don't know what you need till you got it i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i think got a little exposed in that udinese game down the stretch by lasagna but i think uh the, you know musacchio gets exposed and then fouls somebody you know yes kiar seems to get exposed but also will keep his discipline keep his positioning and and hope you know Hopefully, come up with something to to avoid conceding a goal. So that's in, that's the immediate impact that I'm seeing as far as Kiar on the pitch so far. So uh, he seems to be given. Conti seems to be able to push up a lot further. Yep, seems more comfortable moving up out of the back. Uh, Kier has made a couple of nice longer passes from the back too, which yep. is nice to see. I mean, Masakio was never making, you no. know, a, a 25 yard pass out of the back. Yeah, Musaki is a pure tackler, and you can't ask him to pass it farther than five yards. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. As, as long as he had, you know, Romagnoli to bail him out within 10 yards, he's fine. But sure. other than that, yeah. All right. Let's finish with this question on Milan. Okay. Uh, from here on out, and David, we'll start with you. Milan's 2019-2020 season will end up being a success if blank. Will end up being a success if we finish fifth place or better okay and i'm holding on hope i'm holding on hope not out of the question only seven points out and there's 18 games to go uh from seven points from fifth four ten points from fourth seven from fifth eight 18 games to go uh and they get to play everybody that's in front of them here before this is all said and done uh same question michael uh from here on out milan season becomes a success if blank well, the, the only thing that's that's meant success by the end of the year for the last what five or six years now is getting in, getting into the top four. I mean, granted, it'll be a success to get to five or six. Just looking at you know where we were a couple weeks ago, and I really think that you know if you if you ask me where we, where I think we'll end up, it'll probably be fifth. It's going to be really really difficult to crack that top four. I think. You know, when you look at the rest of the way, the game that's going to be huge for us is in in a couple weeks against Inter. Yep. If you can, if you can get a win in that, if you can get three points in that game, you know, take three points off of them, then I think the possibility of getting to fourth seems very real. You know, if you go out in that game and we lose two nothing or something like that, I think you know, then okay, yep, we're resigned to the ceiling is fifth or sixth, but. I think if you can if you can take that game, I think that's that's huge for momentum the rest of the way. Okay, but I, can I can I jump in one second though? I also yeah. think though if okay, but if they lose that game, I don't think it's as devastating as it would as it was earlier on in the season. 
You know, oh, we I were agree. still it was it was the fourth match of the season. We were still under Jump Powell. Things were going horribly wrong, and uh, that game was just absolutely awful. Um, mm. But I think if we at least go in and we put up a fight, whether uh, you know, I would love to win. I think we have a shot at it now with with Ibra and kind of how he's able to take away uh, the attention on the other guys that are up front. Um, so I think we have a fighting chance to actually do it. Um, and like I said, if, if, even if we lose, I think we still have a lot to, to move forward with. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty, uh, optimistic. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I, for me, um, I'm just going to be realistic relative to where the table is at and where Milan, how Milan started, where they're at now. Uh, Milan's 2019-2020 will be a success if they qualify for Europe. Okay. If they reach the Europa league, I think that's going to be a win considering how disastrous the start to the season was. Um, but it's, you know, Europe with upside. Okay. If you do the Europe, if you're qualifying for the Europa league, then the idea for next season better be getting top four and getting back in the champions league. Okay. Yep. Uh, Maldini and Boban. Okay. We got back in, we got back, fought all the way back. This has to be the big leap forward to show that Milan are back to bigger and better things. So I'm I'm willing to go with that, and I'm willing to be a little bit more conservative with with what I think should be successful for this year. So, um, all right, let's finish with just something for fun here, guys. Um, and uh, Michael, I'm going to start with you. Your favorite Milan game of all time. We've all been. I think we've probably got a combined. I know I've got about 32 years of. Of support for this club, um, I don't know where you guys are at in terms of number number of years you've supported the club. I want to say you, you, you at least twenty to twenty five, right? Yeah. No, not for me. I'm a, I'm a relative newbie. Okay, actually, yeah. Okay, all right. So you're just you you. So wait, so you've only known the banter era? No, well, no, not officially. The club, our club, has only been around since 2012. So it basically started at the beginning of the banter era after they won their uh scudetto but so we um, can blame we can blame you for this downfall uh, you may as well just go for it that's fine <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> hey, listen david it's partly my fault too i pretty much took over the major writing duties at our website right around that same time so i feel like some of the blame has to fall on my shoulders <laughs> my son was, I appreciate okay, well you know what i'll take some blame too my son was born in 2012 and he's turned into a juve fan so oh Jesus Ooh, Christ. well you failed us all then yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm a good father. I just, I, I'm letting him. He gets, he gets that. Okay, but the, I'm just happy that he's watching. So yeah, that's yeah. true. That's just, that's a win. That's a win. yeah. I, well, I, I started, I started supporting back uh, after Italy won the World Cup because uh, you know before then it was difficult to catch any uh, Italian matches regularly sure. on on you know with any cable provider, uh, but Fox Soccer Channel kind of sprung up and you know there yes. were all these matches that were readily available to us and it's like okay so who are my favorite players Maldini's my favorite player of all time from <laughs> Italia Novanza so it's a national team thing um but after the uh 2006 World Cup it's like you know Gattuso, Nesta, Inzaghi uh all those guys that were on on the cup winning team and so right. Milan was a uh, was an easy choice for me and sure. sure enough they won the Champions League that year uh but after after that it's a uh, fewer bright spots sure sure all right and and for me i just i was i was playing soccer i was 13 14 years old at the time i started taking a little bit of an interest i was getting the soccer america publications you know 
Italia 90 was coming around as well. Uh, it was right around the corner. It's like, okay, let me get behind a team. It's got to be an Italian team. And Milan happened to be at the top at the time. And I just jumped on that bandwagon and have been on it ever since. So it's fantastic. Uh, yep. Yeah. That, that was about the time I, the, the 90 World Cup is the first one I really remember watching a lot of. I mean, 94, then obviously, since it was here, I sat down and probably watched almost every game. But 90 uh-huh. is really when I started uh, falling in love with the sport. I never, you know, uh, played rec as a kid, never played in high school, but our high school was always really good. So it was always, you know, like on my radar. So it was about that time that I really started, you know, watching, you know, as much as I could. And then, like David said, around around the World Cup there in 06 was when all of a sudden you could you could easily find all the games. Sure. That was a huge boon, I imagine, for any any American soccer fan at that point, you could get up on a Saturday or Sunday morning, get your coffee. And there were, you know, a plethora of games on, you know, mm. that, that really made a big difference. But, um, as far as like favorite games, well, the game I've probably watched the most, unfortunately was the 2005 final. Cause I remember ESPN classic uh, decided to play that game repeatedly. <laughs> So I bet I've watched that game like five times. So therefore, probably my favorite game is, uh, of course, the you know the the O seven final where we uh, where we got some revenge. So, okay. Okay. And more, more recently, it's the uh, the Coppa Italia game that uh, Catroni won in extra time. I would say in the last yeah. few years, like Banta era wise, that is that is my favorite game of all of those. Mostly because that game was on in the afternoon, and I remember because it went into extra time, it went on past five o'clock, and I sat at work after everybody went home and the doors were locked. I sat at my desk and watched that game <laughs> until it was over, and I, I'm sure I leapt out of my chair when Controni put that goal in. Uh, so nice. More more recently, that's that's definitely my favorite. So excellent, excellent. David, favorite game from. Uh... From uh, from all of your uh, Milan games that you've watched, so for me, I just I love when any Italian team beats an English team, uh, particularly you know when it's when it's Milan. And so back in 2004, this was even before like I really got into Milan. I went to see Milan play uh, here in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field, and uh, they played Chelsea. And I never liked uh, Mourinho, and you know he was coaching Chelsea at the time. And it was, you know, it was kind of a big deal because there's just a ton of, of Chelsea fans here in Philadelphia. And uh, so we were, we were sitting there basically at the, uh, on the goal line and Cafu scores this amazing, amazing goal practically from the corner flag. And, you was know, that that it was, volley? It, it, it looked like a cross, but the thing just curved oh, in yeah, and okay. hit the far post, like uh, the far corner. And it was, it was I'd never seen anything like it in my life and for it to happen like right in front of us. So that's one of the few times that I've actually seen Milan play where they'd won. Uh, so for me, that's by far uh, one of my favorite matches uh, just because, you know, the, the experience of being there and seeing all these, these heroes on the field. And, and like I said, this was even before I got into it regularly, but it was an incredibly special match for me. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you my favorite. I got a one and a one A. I'll give you my my ultimate favorite. Um, my one and only time at the San Siro. Uh, and I, I'll never forget it. My bucket list. Uh, Lord could have Lord could have 
came and got me after this after that game. Uh, <laughs> September twenty eighth, two thousand eight. I was, but you know, he had better plans for me, especially since I was on honeymoon with my wife. Um, the one thing that <laughs> the one thing for me for as far as excursions for the honeymoon, um, San Siro, Milan derby, uh, Milan Inter, Mourinho's first derby uh, as Inter coach. Uh, so more of that, you know, Mourinho hatred. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really, I don't really hate the guy, but um, two just star-studded teams, unbelievable. It's one of the loudest places I've ever been to. Uh, and Ronaldinho scoring his first Milan goal, a headed goal from uh, from across from Kaká, uh, giving Milan a one-nil win. Uh, just uh, unbelievable memories of that night. Uh, just, uh, just being there and being in the crowd for a game of that magnitude and a game of that history was, uh, was something I'm never going to forget, you know, one a for me. And I go, I go way back. The 94 champions cup final is always going to be one of my favorites, uh, Milan four Barcelona nil. Um, I had to get it on pay-per-view back then. <laughs> um, and, uh, a just absolute clinic put on by Dejan Savicevic, uh, a Brilliant team performance from Milan, who were missing two key defenders in that game. Baresi and Costa Curta were both suspended. Um, Maldini had to deputize at center back, uh, and they were dealing with legendary strikers from Barcelona and Romario uh, and Hristo Stoichkov, um, and they completely shut them out of the game. Uh, and meanwhile, went back the other way. Savicevic had this looping goal to put him ahead 3-0 uh, over Zubi Zareta. Marasara with two, Desai scoring. Um, and this was de- before Desai went back to playing center back for France. He was in the midfield for Milan. Um, Capello figured out how to get him on the pitch without disrupting that legendary back four that he had. Uh, and he used him as a holding midfielder, which was genius. But anyway, uh, those were those, 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 that's one and one A for me as far as my favorite Milan games. So, uh, Milan fans, your favorite games, uh, tell us at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. And with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of City I Sit Down, I want to give my guests an opportunity to shamelessly plug anything they wish. And David, we'll start with you. Sure. So uh, I want to thank you for for having me on. It's a, it was a great great conversation. And I, I, if you ever want to if you ever want to do it again, just let me know. It was it was fantastic. But uh, so I'm David Fonte with Milan Club Philly. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram at uh, Milan Club Philly, and we also have a Facebook page as well. So. Give us a follow, reach out, and uh, if you guys or anyone is uh, ever in Philadelphia and there's a match going on, be sure to, to look us up and come join us. We always have a great time. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Michael, how about you? Um, I'm the main writer over at uh, Faso de Leone, uh, you, along with uh, two other gentlemen, uh, Matt over in Connecticut and uh, Avi over in Scotland. Just want to take a quick shout out to those guys for all their help over the years. Um if you get a chance, stop by the site. We've got a great group of folks over there. You know, every game we probably end up with four or five hundred comments. We have a lot of fun. No, you know, no BS or anything like that. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, AC Milan Michael. Excellent. I'm at FTC underscore twenty one on Twitter. You can uh, City House Sit Down is available on Apple Podcasts. We have our own page there. You can find us on SoundCloud. We have our own page there. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, just about anywhere podcasts can be found. You'll find City House Sit Down. Uh, check out the YouTube video. We're pumping out new content. Uh, in fact, uh, Richard extracted the conversation he had with Critty Smith over the uh, 
resumes of Carlo Ancelotti and Jose Mourinho, and that turned into a very interesting discussion. So do check that out on our YouTube channel, Serie A Sit Down. Um, and uh, at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, also, Serie A Sit Down is found on Facebook. Check us out there. Uh, do want to thank David and Michael uh, for standing in for Richard. You guys did an admirable job, and I hope to have both of you guys on again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Frank. Greatly appreciate it. Excellent stuff. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. Uh, Richard and I will be back next week breaking everything down as always. Be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Ciao.